Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hello there. Welcome back to Positively Dog-Powered. Today's conversation is a continuation of my chat with Camille Personi of Positive Futures Dog Training and Behavior. As colleagues in the training industry, we sit down and talk about teenagers, aka adolescent dogs, about ages six months to two to two and a half years of age. We chat about all of the changes that are going on and how you as an owner and trainer can learn to work with your dog and reduce some of that frustration as you work to set both you and your dog up for success. Like I said, today is a continuation. So if you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one of this episode. And here's part two. Enjoy. Turning around, stepping off the trail, the dog has to do nothing, right? They just have to follow you. There's no thinking on their part. They don't have to like be, oh my God, what do you want me to do? I don't care if they sit. I don't care if they touch. As long as you're not visibly having a meltdown and falling apart, you can you can stand, you can lay down, you can look, you can sit. I don't care what you do. As long as you're calm, you can just hang out. No problem whatsoever. And so because it's flexible and they don't, again, they're not feeling like they're being pressured or asked to do this huge, impossible task of sitting when something is passing, they're more likely to do it. And because it's so easy for them and they're pretty much almost getting free reinforcement at that point of, okay, you changed direction. I followed you and now you're feeding me cookies nonstop. Uh, then they're very likely to do it again, right? Because it's like, this human is dumb. We just step off to the side and then she just feeds me. I didn't do anything. But that's usually what I do with most of my teenagers. I try to do setups where they think I'm the dumb one and that they're getting free food because they didn't do anything um, instead of it being, that's again, super taxing. Because for teenagers, even the simplest thing, like a sit, is taxing. It's annoying. It's boring. Ah, just like human teenagers, you know, put your dishes away. They're going to do it. But like 20 hours from now, then why don't you just do it now? You're right there <sighs> because it's oh, so much work to put one thing away. Uh, and dogs, you know, teenagers dogs tend to do very much the same thing. So I tend to not cue a lot. My teenagers, typically, if you see me out with the teenagers, there's very little, you won't hear me say sit or, you know, hear or things usually there's a lot of um feedback good job a good puppy this way good job that was very good so that they're getting a lot of like oh cool I'm doing well and it keeps that engagement level on me because I'm doing a lot of talking but there's very little direct you know directions and do this do this do that it's really just let me guide you and when you follow and go along with the plan um, I'm going to mark it and pay you so that it's again super easy for them and they go oh this human is fun a I get a lot of reinforcement for them. Plus, they don't force me to do things I don't like, or they don't make me do boring stuff, you know, repetitive stuff. It's just fun. Um, and I think it goes a long way to building that strong relationship with your dog. Because I think a lot of times, too, with teenagers and with puppies, you know, we use a lot of our cues, like obedience cues, as interrupters for everything and as a way to micromanage them. Leave it, don't drop it here. Come, don't do, and it's like, well, but, you know, puppies will go eat mulch. They, they will, they'll all do it. It's not like your puppy is not special because they want to eat rocks. They all want to eat rocks. Yes, we cannot eat rocks. That's a given. So let's not walk next to rocks, you know, make it manage the environment. Um, but guess what? You could grab a stick. It's fine. 
you can munch on your stick, you found a pine, pine cone, or there's a leaf, you can chew the leaf, it's totally fine. Um, so that, you know, again, we're, I want my dogs, especially my teenagers, to see me as their gateway to fun, right? When the human is involved, we have access to all the things we like versus the human always prevents me from the fun or takes me away from the fun or limits the fun or restricts the fun because that's um, just planting the seed of a really like conflictual and um, uh, not just a great, great relationship. And depending on the dog that you have, if you have a very soft, happy, you know, eager to please dog, they typically will do fine with that. They'll just compromise. It's like, well, it's not great, but it's fine. You know, I don't have feelings about it. But sometimes when you have either, you know, hard dogs or dogs that have strong opinions or very independent breeds, uh, they go, <laughs> yeah, right. Let me... <laughs> Let me tell you what I think about this. And then you have like true conflict, um, yeah. which can be dangerous for everybody involved. Or you have a dog that completely checks out from any type of training. Anything that looks like it might be training related, they'll go, nope, not interested. Don't want to do it. Yep. You know, I think the other thing too, when I'm thinking about kind of external excitability with our teenagers, you know. I often see in forums and online when people are talking about trying to teach their dogs how to on buy or even in group settings, if I'm out with people, you know, it is natural for us humans, I think, like we just want to pass the thing, right? And our dog needs to learn how to do it, right? That I mean, that is essential in doing dog powered sports of any kind. We are going to encounter trail distractions and we are going to have to pass them. But I find that Lots of people are very quick to throw in a cue before mm -hmm. the dog knows the behavior, mm -hmm. right? So we're encountering a trail distraction and it's on by, on by, on by. And the dog has no idea what that means. Okay. And the teenager's like, friend, hello, how's it going? You know, and they're like bouncing towards the, the you know, yeah. and hearing this word and not doing the thing we want at all, right? And obviously that is not the association that we want to make with that word. So we can end up doing more harm than good by just forcing the dogs to pass or trying to throw in a cue for a behavior before the dog really knows it. Um, but just because right now in this very specific developmental stage, I'm choosing in some settings to move off the trail and pay the dog for engaging with me does not mean I'm not going to have a solid on by in the future. And in fact, that's setting our dogs up for success because we're almost teaching them that, you know, paying attention to us and engaging with us around these trail distraction is better. And these trail distractions aren't going to bring them anything exciting. Yeah. Right. And so the excitability that happens around these people and the dogs out on the trail ultimately ends up decreasing mm -hmm. because that's not what's bringing them the excitement. Right. And they kind of become desensitized to seeing them, which actually in the long run is going to make that on by cue much, much easier. So by separating, you know, all three of those things, really, I'm doing on by training at home, very structured in mm -hmm. the backyard. Yeah. I'm doing my harness training and jihaw line out on the trail, really quiet morning, no distractions. And then I'm doing my, hey, we're going to learn how to ignore people in a completely different setting, whether that's on the trail or at a park, right? Teaching them that engaging with me around distractions is good. And by really thinking about all three of those things as separate pieces and splitting them, you know, you're really helping set your dog up for success. Now, I would say the one thing where I could see where it could be a little different would be if you're running a large team. 
you know, if you've got four or six dogs and you've got a couple youngsters on there and really solid lead dogs, you know, if you see a distraction on the trail and you know, your lead dogs are going to ignore it and keep hauling past, well, then that's not a bad experience for that puppy to have. And, you know, they're going to learn by association that, okay, you know, we just passed that. That's not a big deal. But if we're working on, you know, that one-on-one relationship with that dog and that one-on-one training, maybe more for mono sports, you know, that's, that's going to be where we're going to need to put in a little more effort and training time to really separate all those components. Yeah, no, and I think there's any good trainer, especially us, you know, positive reinforcement trainers, because we're very, the ones, the ones of us that are good at it, we're very good at splitting things down, right, so that it's very easy for a dog to get, they get good clean reps, we get lots of reinforcement, and then it's easy to generalize from there and proof it for distractions and stuff like that. Um, I think the average owner doesn't, and that's where um, they struggle a lot, is because they think of behavior as this big block, and we're going to do it all at the same time, where it's not just tiny, tiny pieces all along the way, and you can work on one piece at a time, and then put them together, and and the dog will get it, because they take pictures, and it's almost like I, I tell people, it's like, putting back a composite picture together. So they they Photoshop in their minds, right? They take that little thing and, that put, and they put it together very well. They're very good at doing that. We're not, because we tend to think more into like conceptualize and big, broad categories. Um, so it's very easy for dogs to put things together, even if they seemingly had nothing to do with each other because they go, oh yeah, got it, got it, got it, bam, check. Um, and I think also, you know, things to remember and why splitting is important. If your dog cannot, have a person walk past them 20 feet away in the woods, why do you think they can run past them? It's not, you know, it doesn't make sense, right? Why would you be able to run at speed past the thing like three feet away when you can't even watch it from 20 feet without losing your mind? Um, So you wanna be realistic and it's also not fair on our teenagers because then they get blamed for being dumb or being, you know, naughty or being stubborn. And it's like, but how I don't have this, like they literally do not have the skills to complete that behavior. Um, It's like kids, you wouldn't put a toddler in, you know, college level course. Um, Even if it was a very smart toddler, they would not get like anything. So you do want to do the same thing with, think of this, you know, with your dogs too. What's my dog's skill level? Uh, and how do I get to what I want to be, which is you know, some, usually way up there, um, in a way that they can achieve and it makes sense to them and they understand and they're, again, successful along the way. Instead of, nope, you're going to write a, a thesis, figure out how to just do it. Uh, but I don't, you know, where, where would you start? You wouldn't know. It's the same thing with dogs. And the more we break it down, the easier it is for them to get it and get it successfully. And also, I think the more fun it is because, again, they get that increased confidence of, well, I'm smart, figured it out. And training is fun because it's so easy for them to accomplish and get rewarded. They go, what what, what else? And then usually you'll find those types of dogs tend to be very eager to go to the next challenge because they're like, I can totally do it because I've done it so far like 20 million times. Plus, it's tons of fun. And then they're really eager to participate and you get like really, really nice lovely dogs like training wise because they're very engaged they offer lots of like correct behavior because they're playing the game that they've learned um whereas you know if you set it up as a do it or else type of stuff again if you don't have a very soft super eager to please dog usually at some point it's going to bite you back in the in the back because they're going to be that's enough i'm not going to do it or uh, if i don't do anything then you can't yell at me for it so i'll just sit there and not do anything 
Yeah, I. it's so important too to kind of protect that relationship with our teenager. Um, Cause like you said, they're really smart. And if something's not fun, like just not gonna do it again, right? And we don't want them to associate our dog powered sports training or even, you know, our skills training sessions to not be fun because then that means we've got a dog that checks out. They're not going to engage there. It's not going to be easy to train them and it's not going to be fun to train them, you know? So really being mindful of keeping the level or the difficulty of that activity at a level where they can find success and changing something just a little bit each time so that they're building that. And the moment you see your dog, you know, quote, fail, they can't do what you've asked or they start struggling emotionally. That's always a huge indicator to me to like immediately stop what I'm doing, take a step back, go back to a place where we can find success for that relationship and for building a strong foundation. Cause you know, teenagers are not race ready. Teenagers are learning the skills and we always want learning to be fun, engaging, exciting so that they always want more of it. Yeah, sure. And especially, you know, in dog powered sports, typically you're dealing with large dogs, right? Like large size dogs, um, which again, do you really want to have a conflict, you know, like a relationship based in conflict in a dog that, weighs upwards of 75 to 100 pounds. I personally, I don't, because I don't want to fight them every step of the way. And B, too, that a lot of dogs, I mean, it's changing now because they're getting way more popular, but traditionally, those are primitive breeds, independent breeds, breeds that are used to working on their own, um, and that tend to not do well at all with adversarial training. They'll go, yeah, as if you could scare me. And then that's why, you know, Huskies get all this this lack of, oh, they're stubborn, they're stupid, they just want to run. But because they just respond to one kind of training. If you go with them, Huskies are very smart. They wouldn't be, you know, successful sled dogs running yeah. in group 12 across the country if they weren't smart. If they were dumb, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to do it. So I think, you know, you want to obviously keep that in mind. Like, you know, if you have German Shepherds, it's one thing. Because, yes, they're highly biddable. They're highly trainable. Um, that's what they're bred for. So they'll take a lot of quote-unquote abuse because they're like, that's fine. I like the work anyway. So even if the person making me do the work sucks, the work is fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not true across the board. Like a lot of right. breeds tend to not, you know, not fall into that extreme of, you know, the Border Collie, the Malinois, and the Shepherd were right. super biddable to a fault. Most dogs are somewhere in between to the other end of, hey, if it's if I don't get anything out of it and it's not fun for me, then I'm not going to do it. Um, and you can't make me type of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which they're warranted to do. But again, is that the relationship you want to do with your dog? You, know, you can't make me do it. Watch this. I'm just like, well, but why? When you can just, you know, ice nicely and everybody goes, sure. And then everybody has a good time. Yes. Is it more tedious initially or does it feel like it's moving slower? Sure, you know, especially if you have you know, strong goals and you're very goal oriented and you're kind of used to the traditional do it or else type of stuff. It does feel like, you know, we're cuddling and holding hands and oh my God, are we going to ever get this? <laughs> uh, but over time, the like the leaps that you get at the end of that, I mean, it's, it's just, you can't even describe it in words. Like I see it with the yeah. dogs that I raised you know, over the years. Um, like my, my current German Shepherd I had as a puppy. Same thing we did, you know, off the trail. He had feelings, he's a shepherd, so he had feelings about, and he's a hypersocial shepherd. Um, so he had big feelings about people on the trail, about dogs on the trail. We wanted to go say hi to everybody and we couldn't, so we had to scream to tell the world that we were foiled in our plan. Be my friend! <laughs> uh, oh, friendly, I swear! 
March. <laughs> like, yeah, this is not helping your case. But we did, so yeah. we did you know, dial it back down. We took less walks in the woods when he was in that phase. And then we did the very structured, we're going to step off this trail. We're going to let it pass. And initially we were off by 30 feet. Mm, that's fine. Um, does it take a while? Sure. Um, today he just turned three and he can be on any trail, any public space and let anything pass. Dogs that bark at him, yeah. he'll, I'll, and literally he'll just be on the trail and I just tell him to wait and he just, that okay. you can see it go dead eyes like, this is boring. Why do we have to stop for these people? Can we just, and you can tell that he does not care about yeah. the oncoming destruction whatsoever. And everything has been easy. We did, you know, we tried uh, power sport for, with him for the first time he took to it right away because he had already those skills he's like okay got it i know what to do i didn't have to spend the whole time to you know backtrack or well now we're not going to do this so now we're not going to do that um you know and, and it, it was worth those like two or three months of you know baby steps and kind of being like, well i wish i could go for a hike but right now we can't type of stuff because now i can go on any hike anytime with anybody um with like zero stress zero pressure everybody has a good time you know it's super easy and so i think people sometimes lose sight of that especially when you're living with a teenager it's really easy to go oh good time because you just survived the puppy stage and you thought you were done you're like yes that's it the puppy doesn't pee in the house anymore the teeth are out we're not bleeding we made it yuppie and then it's like well hold on to your pants because it's about to get worse um, so it can be really hard to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, especially when you're not a seasoned, you know, uh, either dog owner or, or professional who's used to kind of churning out puppies and teenagers and kind of goes, that's fine. Um, I yeah. think it, it is, it is um, sometimes even heartbreaking because you feel like all you've done with your puppy, especially people that tend to be very invested and a lot of people who do sports obviously are very invested in their puppies because they're working on foundations already and it feels like all of that was for nothing and yeah. now you have nothing to show for it. And you have a dog that's forced up and he's like yeah, it's normal they all do it they all slide back and they all have the phase where they're heathens and they've never been trained <laughs> they have no manners whatsoever uh, but you know if you stick with it those things come back you, you haven't lost they haven't forgotten the foundations they're still there it's just that at the moment the brain is not capable to kind of do multitask and do everything yeah. you have to deal with the excitability and once that gets under control everything comes back and then you have just like a super enjoyable adult. I mean, it's just so easy. Once you have all, they all fall together. You're like, oh, this is the, per and the perfect dog and everything gels. And then you have this lovely relationship because you kind of preserve that throughout. Yeah. Uh, and then it's, you know, 10 years because that's what you get. 10 years of just bliss after that. So it's worth the, the pain. For, for <laughs> I, uh, you know, something that you mentioned that I want to talk about too, um, you know, you mentioned with your adult dog now, like he's an adult, he's three, um, he can go on hikes with anybody, right? He can just go out and enjoy other dogs around him. And once kind of initial excitement or greeting is done, he's, you know, cool. Like he knows what he's doing. It's easy for him to ignore other distractions um, and other dogs, whether those dogs are with him in a group or he's encountering them. Oftentimes with our teenagers and for our people that are involved in dog card sports, they usually live in multi-dog households too. Uh -huh. um, and we do, for all of you listening, if you don't know, we do have an episode on multi-dog households uh, that I did with Katie Sipple. She's amazing. It's definitely her area of expertise. So go check that out. Um, but oftentimes that means we are using 
all of these beautiful foundations that we have instilled in our adult dogs. And we're saying, hey, you want to help me out, <laughs> right? Like you want to teach the puppy a little bit. So we often end up using our older dogs when it's appropriate to do two dog, three dog, four dog activities so that the teenager, the young dog can kind of learn from the adult dogs. But if we are living in multi-dog households and our dogs, you know, are kind of in the house with us, in the yard together, working on the trail together, we can have some conflict too, even though overall it might be a good relationship when we start bringing resources into the mix, which we talked a little bit about, um, when we start bringing arousal and excitement of dog card sports into the mix, we can have some conflicts. So let's kind of specifically for this envision, you know, a two dog uh, setup where we've got an adult dog and a teenager and that teenager is really jacked up. What kind of problems can we see as we're bringing the dogs in close proximity to start to do the activity? Yeah, usually you'll see the most common is that the teenager will just bug the old dog, not like they'll jump on them, they'll mouth at them, grab their harness, grab their gear, um, play tug on it, um, you know, just be in their face, like super obnoxious. Uh, to varying degrees, so you'll have dogs that are, you know, polite-ish about it, who are just kind of being like, in your face, oh my god, puppy, roll over, look at me, look at me, type of stuff, to the super intense, I'm actually going to bite you for real, um, and hurt you, because I, not because I want to hurt you and be mean, but because I'm super excited, and I need an outlet, and my teeth is what's happening, <laughs> uh, so you do want to be careful, and again, knowing your dog usually is, is that's a good way to know which way it's going to go because most dogs tend to have very specific to themselves um, arousal response and fear responses just like we do you know freeze flight fawn um, are pretty much cemented so if you have a dog that tends to be bitey barky when they get excited that's going to be across the border is going to get barky bitey so with my two cold is definitely barky bitey when he gets excited he will just uh, scream murder and like bark aggressively in your face because he's a German shepherd so like it means business and, and teeth come out whereas Theo my girl she's the fawn type so she'll just flail and like throw herself around and whine and so you know there's a very drastic differences when you look at them but they're really the same problem it's that they're both um, over aroused and overexcited in any case I would say it's going to probably bug the other dog regardless of whether it becomes it turns into bitey bitey or throw myself on the floor rollover type of stuff so usually I would, okay, let's wait, let's separate, give the older dog some space and safety so that they're not getting, gonna have to put up with it. Let's calm the other one down, chill, settle, let's try again. It might also be that we cannot try again because the thing that we're trying to do is just too much for that dog to handle. So we might have to backtrack or do it separately. So a lot of times when I have multi, um, you know, pet household and, and a teenager in there, I usually tell people you'll want to balance alone time and together time so for some activities having another dog around is beneficial because they can model the appropriate behavior they can bring arousal level downs especially things like you know walking on a trail things that your adult dogs has done a gazillion times you know they're solid um it's not super exciting we're just walking you know it's arousal levels even if they do get up they're not going to be quite as high as running full speed down you know um, a path with stuff on on either side of it so those are good times. So, okay, we're going to go together to kind of practice again, being around distractions and not losing our, our, our hair because everybody else is just kind of hanging out and then doing those more rousing skills separately until you can kind of get a little bit of better handle than a teenager kind of 
doesn't find it quite so, oh my God, or they're not as likely to redirect their arousal onto things around them. So that way, you know, you can still be like loud and just chomping at the bit, but just focus on we're gonna go not take it out on your sibling because they didn't ask for it. They're just standing there waiting their turn to nicely, you know, just. Yeah. I think that that balance of alone and together is really important, you know, because while, you know, it might be your goal to develop a two dog team, if you put your older dog into situations where they're constantly just having to deal with the chaos of a teenager next to them, they might eventually get to a point where they're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. This sucks, you know? And so you might see their stress signals escalate to a point where we're having problems in that relationship. And then we've got dogs that can't live together, that can't run together. So we definitely don't want to force that. We always want to be protective of that relationship. So um, like you mentioned, doing a lot of that uh, arousal, um, high arousal activity solo, doing a lot of the jazz up, settle down work, trying to instill some of those foundations of like calmness and focus, focus with the dog will be really helpful. And then if I'm in a situation where I'm like, I really need to run these two dogs together, try bringing help along, right? Maybe I can hook my bike or scooter up, uh, to a snub line to a tree or fence, have the older dog lined out and waiting. Um, and maybe a friend handles the other dog as we connect them so that they can hold the harness, hold the collar, prevent that obnoxious jumping and redirecting that the teenager might do on the older dog. Um, or if I'm running solo, again, I might snub line the bike or the scooter, have the older dog lined out because they know what they're doing. They're waiting. I bring the teenager over, we hook up and I immediately go so that there isn't a lot of downtime of like, you having to stand next to each other on the line waiting to go because that's going to build frustration and provide more time for that inappropriate behavior to happen. So there's definitely workarounds around it, but I think really prioritizing, you know, the future of both of those dogs, not only their relationship with each other, but also the behaviors that I want to see rehearsed. Again, going back to setting that activity up where everybody finds success. So not letting that obnoxious behavior happen. Cause again, the teenager's not being bad. They're just being a teenager. Right. And it's our goal as trainers to kind of set them up in a situation where I'm not going to see that undesired behavior happen. So finding assistance, using management, um, you know, being quick about hookups, working on those skills solo are all kind of workarounds that you can do. Um, and then, be mindful of that behavior when you are with them at home as well, making mm -hmm. sure that we're not seeing a lot of that redirecting behavior at home because what happens at home can also impact their ability to work together on the trail as well. Yeah, for sure. A lot of times with my teenagers, when I, there's an adult dog in the house, even if they've been getting along well, you know, while they were puppies, I tend to do a lot of separation anyway because teenagers are a lot. For mm -hmm. everybody. Like they're just yeah. trying to have around anyway. So I tend to do a lot of downtime of okay teenager's gonna go take a nap for two hours whether they want to or not it's not negotiable <laughs> taking a nap and the older dog you know has run of the house the yard they can do their own thing um if my teenager is is really into like let's play let's play and my older dog is like well I really don't feel like it anymore okay separate so older dog I'm gonna put you away so you can rest and do your thing teenager is gonna come with me we're gonna play together so that they have that outlet uh, but they're not being obnoxious and kind of taking it on the other dog because a lot of times again this is the age you know when their hormones start to hit where relationships shift anyway because again now it's not a puppy anymore it's, it's become an adult and right. 
your resident dog will be less tolerant of, you know, the stupid puppy behavior, but your teenager is also going to be more pushy about it uh -huh. and see how, you know, if they can flex their muscles and if they can get one up on the other dog, which is normal. Again, it's not from being mean or underlying aggression. This is a normal progression of things of what, you know, when I'm a big boy, I, I want to see what I can do type of stuff. And they'll try. And, you know, a lot of times they'll just be put back in their place and go, okay, well, I guess it's not going to work. So I won't try it again. But you do want to kind of manage those interactions so that it's not up to the dogs, right? So it's not up to the teenager to either win those, you know, conflicts and go, waha, yes, I'm a big bad boy. And if I bully everybody around me, I can get whatever I want. Which then, you know, the resident dog goes, okay, I hate this dog because it's my house. I was here first and now he's taking all my stuff. Or on the flip side, the teenager is trying to get one up and getting put back in their place a little too harshly or a little too frequently and right. going, I hate my sibling because every time we try I try to ask for something they keep smacking me in the face and then you know you kind of have this resentment building and it, it becomes really tedious and there's I, I think there's nothing worse than having to live in the house where dogs need to be rotated and separated it's super stressful for everybody um it's definitely not something that you want to be into if you can if you can avoid it so I would definitely do again with most of my teenagers I tend to be slow going um yep. cole was in a crate until he was two when i wasn't home because yeah I, I don't want to find out whether you're going to chew my walls or not i don't think you will <laughs> but today might be the day where you decide to go that wall looks really good let's see let's see how it crumbles yeah uh, and we're, we're not doing that so you know is it annoying sure did would i want him to have whole run of the house sooner sure sure because it's more comfortable for him to be out and have his toys and being in a large crate where it's you know it's really not as fun but hey i don't want you to rehearse bad behaviors when i'm not around like trash shirt surfing when no one's around right or getting yourself hurt or because now i have two getting on, you know, on the children's nerves getting into a fight when i'm not home or you know who knows mm -hmm. so even with my two who love each other sometimes we do separates you're gonna go in that mm -hmm. room and she's gonna go in that room and take a nap and just leave her alone for a little bit and you'll be happy to see each other. And sometimes we do activities, you know, differently. Some dogs go on walks with me with other dogs and then next time it'll be the different dogs so that they also have their own like enriched lives, you know, on their right. own. Like us, you know, when you, if you have siblings, like it's nice to do things as a family, but sometimes it's really nice to just do you and your mom or you and your dad type of stuff. Right. And I think for dogs too, especially for younger dogs, um, I think it helps kind of keep everybody calm and fulfilled and like everybody's getting their fair share of and then learning that whole sharing right you're going to have your turn they're going to have their turn it's not all about the teenager even though they require the most you know um amount of like time and energy still sometimes you're going to have to wait your turn and your brother's going to do something else um well that also sets those teens up for relationship building with all of the humans in the house uh -huh. and it puts them in a place where their needs are often getting met solo independent of the other dogs in the home right like it's not the older dog's job to babysit or teach manners or tire out this youngster right that's kind of our job so making sure that i'm like allotting time on the calendar for each human to spend time with each dog each dog to kind of get their own outlets it's making sure that that emotional cup is nice and full which is going to improve behavioral outcomes in the home when they are all together yeah, and then from there, everything gets easier, right? Because if they have that nice relationship, they're not getting on each other's nerves, and you go to do sports together, they're more likely to be, A, super tolerant of each other. Okay, yeah, 
get you're excited. I'm gonna give you a pass because I know this is super exciting and I'm excited too. Versus if you have that kind of like constant nagging and annoying and you know that can really be the last drop and they go okay that's enough and then you have a fight out of nowhere because yeah. that resident dog has taken it and taken it and today is the day where you know that's that's enough where we're just yeah. no more. Um, so you do want to be mindful of that. And I think it's nice for everybody to, again, to take those breaks, even for me when I'm, you know, like, mm-hmm. just going to put you away for two hours and just, yeah. I'm going to go rest without and then, all and then, of this. Yeah. <laughs> and then just watch TV. And then it's nice for them, even though they don't like it, because again, stillness is hard. It's also, hey, we're not, I'm not your nanny 24 seven. At some point, I'm going to be home. You're going to be home and we're not going to do anything. And they need to be taught that it doesn't come natural. Yeah. You know, your teenager has an on, on a 24-7 switch. They don't have the off switch. If we don't kind of purposefully do off times, and this is how we behave during off times, and there's really no choice but to be off, then your dog will be on the rest of their lives. And then you're you're creating that, you know, <laughs> super annoying can't settle behavior because you've always entertained them and kind of fed that right and so you want to also think about that sometimes it's boring mm-hmm. an essential to- teenager skill learning mm-hmm. when i sit down and relax you sit down and relax sometimes we engage sometimes we don't and i have cues to give you that say yes we're going to engage or no right not right now you're going to go do something else and kind of establishing those early on will make life easier for everybody for sure sticking to them because i see a lot of people kind of cave because teenagers can be very persistent with their but Mm -hmm. hey i want to play type of stuff and we'll be really good about it for about five minutes and then our patience runs out and we're like fine toss the ball and then your dog goes (laughs) five minutes and 34 seconds is what it took before the human came then get me what i want so you want to be and that's where management comes in so that's why my teenagers tend to be created very late because when it's snap time, you're going in your crate in a quiet room where I am not in the room with you so that even if you do have feelings and try to get my attention, it's not going to work. And yeah. sometimes I'll even remove myself. Like if I have a very vocal teenager and of course they're being quite trained as puppies. So it's not like you just came here and I'm just going to not deal with you and throw you in the crate. But this is a right. has the history of being crated comfortably. Um, they've not been crates. They're very comfortable. But when they're teenagers, obviously we need to protest especially boring things like being in a crate when we could be like having fun or something so a lot of times i'll be okay you're going over here in a nice quiet you know soothing music is going on soothing pheromones to help again to set up the stage so that we're nice and relaxed i am going to go in the yard and keep a camera on you so that if you die i can come and save you but i don't have to listen to you and i'm not going to cave in in 10 minutes and go be quiet and tell my dog, but see, if you scream for 20 minutes straight, the humans will engage with you. Right? They'll tell you about yeah. it. Um, so you do want to be mindful. And, and especially at the beginning when they start doing those behaviors, because it, it's not um, usually like it's not a ramp up. They usually suddenly, I, I see it with all the crate train puppies. They're perfectly fine. As puppies would sleep upside down in a crate for hours, would go there voluntarily to take naps, love it. And then one day you put them up and it's hell, I mean, it's 20 minutes of And if you cave on that day, that's it. They're like, aha, I can get out of the crate if I scream. So you do want to be, again, a lot of it is thinking in terms of the future and what kind of habits and patterns you're setting up for your dog. 
while at the same time making it easy. So a lot of times, again, with, I'm not just going to force you to create and leave you screaming for five hours. Music, making sure you've had your exercise, you know, your needs met before you take a nap, that you're actually tired, not like you just woke up, go back to sleep, not yeah. creating you for 17 hours a day. You know, it's very short-lived. It's really two hours, usually in the middle of the day to make sure we have that nice midday rest so we're not completely manic by like 5 p.m um you know you have music going on you have a chew in there you have lots of activities to do in your in your resting area so that we're setting everything up to be easy but also okay you have everything you need there's nothing that is wrong with you you're safe you know you're not missing out on anything you just need to be able to chill settle and just take a nap that's what you need yeah you're, yeah. you're crying because you're tired <laughs> Sometimes we have emotions. It's okay. You know, teenagers are tough. They're definitely tough. And I think it's okay for anybody to say, I don't have the skill set to handle this. Even if you've had dogs for your entire life, even if you consider yourself a hobby trainer or a professional trainer, like everybody will have a dog at some point in their life where they are struggling and they need help. And it's okay to ask for help. I think if I would give people like one takeaway, I would say to be patient and train the dog that is in front of you on that day. Just because your teenager could do something three days ago does not mean they're going to be able to do it today. Um, so if I see my dog struggling with what I'm asking and I had plans on doing something bigger than what I'm doing, you know, I'm going to see them struggling in that warm up or struggling with the, the foundation of that. And I'm going to go, that's okay. We're not going to make it harder. In fact, I'm going to go the other way. We're going to make it easier. I might completely scrap my plans and work on something else with them. The goal is that foundation. And just think that like each training exercise you're doing with your dog, I'm just going to evaluate where the dog is at on that day and be mindful of that as I'm trying to work on skills. Because if you put too much pressure on them, if you have too many expectations or think, God, you could do this yesterday, what's wrong? You're going to get frustrated. Your dog's going to get frustrated. You're going to damage your relationship with your dog. And it's likely that you're also going to start poisoning some of your cues, you know, decreasing their desire to work for you. And of course, that's not what we want. So if you feel that inner frustration building for you or the dog, deep breaths for both of you. And, you know, if you need to completely stop what you're doing so that you can reflect on it when you're not frustrated um, and, and come back to it, because I think it's easy for us to go well, what the heck, you know, you could do this three days ago, last week, the week before this has been going so well, what's happening today? You know, and we might not know what's happening on that day, but okay. they're teenagers and they are always shifting. And so it's important for us to shift our training with them as they grow. Um, what would be, you know, if you are thinking of taking teenagers out on the trails and working on skills with them, you know, what would be your kind of one takeaway to, to leave people with? Yeah, definitely, you know, deal with the dog that's in front of you. I tend to think of training. You know, we often hear about the emotional bank account and you want to do more mm -hmm. deposits than, than, than um, takeaways. But I also think we need to talk about like the skill bank account, right? You want right. to do more good, clean reps and desirable behaviors and have uh, undesirable or bad reps. Uh, and I think sometimes people miss that where it's like, you know, because we do want to balance those two. So a lot of times, you know, with my dogs, I, tend to be extremely flexible. Yes, I have a plan and those are things I'd like to work on and you know things that we need or that need polishing that I knew from a previous session. So usually I'll go with that in mind. 
Um, I usually tend to stick to very similar like warm-up routines so that it's very, again, consistent routine. It's a really nice anticipation for the dog because they know, ah, this is the game we play before the walking happens and the walking entails A, B, C, D type of behaviors. Um, if the warm-up goes poorly or downhill, I'll scrap everything. Okay, long line, we're just going to dilly-dally into the woods. You're going to sniff. I might toss a handful of treats so that you're getting your stimulation for the day, we're not going to work on any skill because even though it feels like, well, you're not doing anything, yes, but I'm not rehearsing bad things either. And I'm not taking right. out of my bank account, right? I didn't put any more money today, but I didn't take anything out. And I think that's yeah. really as important. Just as important. Um, and it goes a long way, especially with teenagers who tend to be um, very sensitive to like single event learning. So they'll learn one rep and then they go, ta-da, that I would rather not do anything and not do any bad thing, then right. we're gonna push it through anyway and then risk kind of coming out on the other side and going, well, actually that actually backfired and now we're we're back way further than what we thought. Especially because again, with teenagers, I don't take it personally, right? If they're having an off day, that's literally what I put, you're having an off day. Today we can't walk on leash. It's not, I'm a bad trainer. It's not, you're being stubborn. It's not, I failed you as a trainer. Look, today we don't know how to walk. Okay, well, we'll try again next week. Literally just, you let it roll off of you, especially yeah. if you have, you know, you know, you've had a nice relationship with your puppy and put some foundations in. When you're, when you're in a teenager, you have to just let it roll off of you. Like really like, well, today, that's the problem. Let's see tomorrow. If tomorrow it's still a problem, then, uh, okay, make a note of it. That's, it might be a problem. And if it's still a problem, you three, four times down the road, now it's a problem. Um, that we need to address. And it can be like a simple problem, like, well, pulling on the leash now is, back to being a problem so we need to kind of backtrack and stuff like that or it can be reactivity is actually being a problem and not just a stupid i'm excited and happy to see things yeah uh, but initially the first or second time that it happens i'm oh well okay today today that's today's the day where this is not working let's try something else or let's just go home and there's nothing wrong about just going home you know i think also we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as humans to get yeah. things done because we live in a society where things get done fast and efficiently and now guess what? There's no time limit. Your dog will learn how to walk on a leash. It doesn't, you know, it's not a four weeks window and then it's over. Or you, you know, if you're not a good owner, if you don't get your dog to walk nicely on a leash by week 17, it happens yeah. when it happens. Uh, it's totally up to you what, how you like. I don't mind when my dogs pull on leash and I'm a professional trainer. And sometimes people see me walking like your dogs are at the end of the line. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Because when I think, <laughs> pause or call them back they're at my feet so you know it's, right. you, it's your standards also don't let you know bigger other people's expectations color your relationship with your dog because you live with your dog other people don't yeah. so it's you know you you and your dog that's all that matters 100 percent. be kind to yourself just like you're being kind to your dog for sure because so i think i think as our stress levels increase we can be hard on ourselves so I, I, that's a fabulous reminder too is that Teenagers can be stressful. They're struggling. They're having a hard time. It's okay for you to also have emotions about things, but just make sure that we're being realistic about things, that we're being consistent about things. And if something, you know, off happens, just we'll try again tomorrow. No offense yep. taken. Yep. Awesome. Camille, so many great takeaways. You're my teenager go-to expert. I loved this. Thank you so much for coming on and talking. It was a pleasure.
Well, we did have lots of fabulous takeaways from both of these two episodes with Camille. It's okay to admit that you might need a little extra help. Teenagers are challenging and finding the right tools for your toolbox can really help benefit not only your relationship with your dog, but also your ability to meet your training goals. If you need a little extra assistance and you're not quite ready to hire an in-person professional, take a look at our show notes. We do have a link to a webinar that Camille did called Managing Arousal in Dogs, jam-packed full of information to help you work with your young dog on helping them learn how to control those emotions and connect with you, even when there's exciting stimuli around. And if you need a little extra help, Camille also offers one-on-one virtual private coaching. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.